when it gets really heated, you know, you just you just need somebody to take you a step back and just to tell you to take a deep breath and focus on the issue. And if you can get past that emotional reaction, a lot of people can, then you can reach a settlement. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from uh, sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out, one titled The Sled and the other titled How to Get Sued. Before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Blue Jay Legal. Blue Jay Legal's AI-powered foresight platforms accurately predict court outcomes and accelerate case research by using factors instead of keywords. Learn more at bluejlegal.com. That's blue, the letter J, legal.com, bluejlegal.com. Well, divorce can be a grueling process for couples. The days of standing in front of a judge are becoming less common. Instead, mediation has become one of the most frequently used methods of negotiating a divorce settlement. On today's Lawyer to Lawyer, we'll turn our spotlight onto the divorce mediation movement. We'll explore the pros and cons of mediation over litigation in divorce proceedings and the impact on the couple going forward. To help us explore this topic, we have a great guest for you today. My friend, attorney Kelly Chang Rickert, is the founder of the Law and Mediation Offices of Kelly Chang, a professional corporation, a firm dedicated exclusively to family law. Kelly also writes a popular blog, the Los Angeles Divorce and Family Lawyer blog, which can be found at divorcefamilylaw.blogspot.com. And welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much, Craig. It's an honor to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you on the show. Let's get started with a little bit of background about you. How did you get involved in family law? It was an accident. <laughs> when I first started my firm, I, like many solo practitioners, took on you know, any kind of case. And I started noticing that there was always volume in family law. Um, unlike corporations and insurance companies that have a lot of money, family law clients tend to be individuals going through a tough spot. And so I realized, like, with my training and I guess my empathy level, uh, it, it was something that fit my personality. So very quickly after I started my own practice, I started focusing exclusively on family law. And as you've practiced, you've seen things change in family law. Tell us how it got started for you and then how it's changed over time. So I think the biggest movement that came about uh, during my 20 years of practice is the women's movement. So historically, you know, there would be a stay-at-home housewife and one breadwinner. And I noticed over the years, I've had a lot of women now become the breadwinners. And so whereas before there would be a lack of knowledge between the couples, uh, between the husband and the wife, now almost every wife I represent knows more than the husband. So, you know, it, it all has to do with the Me Too movement. But that's one one change I've seen. And the second change I've seen is now there is a big uh, acceptance of this new movement of law called collaborative. So a lot more attorneys are now amenable to practicing collaborative law, which I think is a much better choice uh, in a divorce proceeding. Well, let's talk about the impact of of divorce on couples and their family. I mean, I, I remember reading through your blog and seeing a little phrase from you that says, divorce causes bankruptcies. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, think of an, a family as something that's intact. So, you know, you have a family with children, with bank accounts, everything is together. The division of this family, 
you know, a divorce causes a split. So resources are always finite in a divorce case. And because not only are the assets split, your expenses double because now you're living in two different households. So I commonly tell my clients, you start off with a quarter of what you had as an intact marriage. So unfortunately, it is the reality and nobody wins in divorce. I absolutely hate it when people come to me and they're like, we, we want to hire a pit bull and we want to win. I'm like, you are already starting from a place of a quarter. There's no way you can win 100%. You're starting at 25%. So, you know, the goal in handling a divorce case isn't winning. The goal is trying to get through it with as little damage to the children and to your emotions and to your well-being as possible. And let's educate our listeners that are thinking about divorce or in the middle of it about that lovely little program, DisoMaster. Mm-hmm. How does that work? So DisoMaster is a program created by CFLR. It's the company that, so there's a code section in the family code, uh, which codifies the algebraic formula for child support. And some awesome business took this algebraic code and ran a program. So now all we have to do is plug and chug. And DisoMaster is how you calculate child support. It is also sometimes used to calculate spousal support, although typically under the code, spousal support is not an algebraic formula. It's supposed to be based on factors. So child support's pretty much a given, and you have very little choice to argue with the program. Is that, a, is that how it works? Well, it's garbage in, garbage out. So a lot of people forget factors to input, and so they get a garbage. So usually when you hire an attorney, they'll make sure that every single factor goes in, such as mortgage deductions, uh, health insurance premiums. It's basically like having an accountant trying to find deductions. So whether you're the payor or the recipient, whatever goes in really matters. So when a family comes to you and says, or a husband or a wife says, I want to hire a pit bull, how do you, other than saying, look, you've got a quarter of, of your income and expense and expenses to deal with, how do you convince them to go to mediation? I mean, what's, what's the benefit that, uh, that sells people? Okay, so let's distinguish the difference between acting as an attorney and as a neutral mediator. So usually when people come to me for a consult already, I cannot be their mediator. I can still talk them into mediation, but I can't be the mediator. So usually when somebody calls my office and they inquire about mediation, they'll talk to my staff who's very knowledgeable and trained. And so in order for them to use me as a mediator, both sides have to agree. But yeah, typically when one person calls and they consult with me, uh, after an hour, I'm excluded from being a neutral mediator because there's a conflict now that exists. So that aside, I can still convince them to go to mediation, but I can't be the mediator. And what's so much better about mediation than duking it out in front of the judge? Number one, you are in control. And, you know, as if you are a mediation, you are in control of your case. You're not standing before a judge. You're not risking being yelled at by this judge. You're not risking winning or losing this one particular motion. You are in absolute control of the outcome. If you don't like it, you don't have to reach an agreement. You don't have to sign. There is no loss until, you know, one of you has to go to court. So can everything be handled in a marital settlement agreement? Everything can be handled and should be handled in mediation. The only problem I see is divorce is extremely high emotions, and so a lot of people let their emotions override their common sense, and that is a formula that will bankrupt you. So I usually tell people, you know, let's take the emotions aside, and what are the issues? Once you can set aside your emotions, you're 99% there to settling your divorce case. But isn't divorce all about emotion? Isn't that how people get to it in the first place? That's an awful lot to diffuse. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it is so. People are so angry, they don't want to look at the issues. But a lot of times, if people step away from their anger, let's say they focus on their kids, you'll see that the couple actually have a common denominator, which is their children. They might not be talking to each other, but as soon as you talk about their kids, they both light up like a Christmas tree. You know, because everybody wants what's best for their kids. I really think that. There's maybe 1% of the population that are just horrible, horrible people. But most people want what's best for their children, even if they hate their spouse. Let's talk about the cost differential. What is it going to cost you to go through a divorce? And what kind of savings would you see if you chose mediation instead? <laughs> My common tagline is marriage is grand, divorce a hundred grand. So I, I think right off the bat, if you have a divorce which involves, you know, Substantial assets, maybe a business you have to evaluate, maybe a child custody evaluator because you can't agree on a parenting plan. Right off the bat, you're looking at six figures because you have to pay attorney's fees, expert fees, forensic fees. Sometimes you have to get a vocational. So everybody gets paid. Everybody gets paid out of your limited assets. Uh, So the difference between litigating and you have to hire experts on both sides, so you're paying double, and mediation where you're using one neutral and you're dividing the cost, it's exponential. You know, you can settle a divorce case pretty easily if you're using a mediator and you're in control of everything. What would somebody expect to pay for mediation compared to hundred grand for a divorce? I think it depends how many sessions you need, and I, it also depends what kind of mediator you use. So, you know, typically with me, I would say you start with a retainer of about 3500 You can probably finish mediating the whole thing in under 10000 maybe less, and you divide this. Now, your role is a neutral in the mediation process. How do you play, how, how, do you, how does that work in terms of getting you know, people that are in, totally invested on one side or the other? How do you draw them to the middle? So we usually have ground rules, and then they'll start off by telling me what their concerns are. And after I have given both of them a platform to vent, um, we usually then discuss the issues. Usually they're really not that far off. If they are far far off and there is kind of a kink in the system, I will isolate them, and that's called caucuses. So I'll talk to each one individually. But, you know, pretty soon there will be some movement. And as long as there's a common goal, which is that they want to avoid court because of the unknown, then they can usually meet in the middle. And it's a misnomer that you have to get along. I have many couples that sit in my conference room and that don't talk to each other. In fact, I have one this morning, and she ran out practically after the case was settled. So you don't absolutely have to get along. You can still be mad at the other person. I expect that. As long as you both agree to use me as a mediator, you know, it, it, it could settle. I would say 90% of my cases settle. And is it the children that bring people together again? I think so. A lot of times when you talk to them about their children, they'll both bring out their phones, and they'll start talking and reminiscing. Like this couple was fighting, and then one person said, well, what do you think about her green hair? And he, he, the other person laughed and said, I don't like it. And so, you know, that's like one common denominator because you, you, you're both parents. You know, if something, God forbid, happened to their child, they would be in the same boat. Someone once said to me that you can get divorced as a husband and wife, but you can never get divorced as a parent. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. One of, one of my favorite private judges used to say, you know, if, if the children are okay, nothing else matters. If the children aren't okay, nothing else matters. That's what he would say. And I think I agree with the whole thing. It doesn't matter if you're dividing a billion dollars. If the children are not okay, you work on the children first. You make sure that the divorce doesn't hit them and, you know, make them broken, for lack of a better word. 
And what is it that you tell parents to so that they don't break their children, not to not to talk bad about the other parent in front of the child? What what kind of common things do you really have to advise parents to do to protect the children? A lot of it is common sense. You know, we talk about how there's this wise judge that I posted this blog very often, but he writes about how, you know, the children were not a part of the decision to make each other the parent. And so you leave them out of it. And every time you say something bad about the other parent, you're saying something bad about half of that child. You know, that's not love, that's possession. So, you know, I usually include that article and we talk about it. Um, I would say generally most people in mediation have already gone through the preambles, and so they're they're not as likely to say bad things about each other in front of the kids as those in litigation. So what do you mean by preambles? So I think in order to get yourself to a place of mediation, you have to have some sort of reasonableness in place to begin with. So, you know, it already puts you in a better half of the population than the other half that will not mediate and that will want to go to court at all costs. That's exactly right, I think. Kelly, we need to move on to our next segment. We're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor before we do that. We'll be right back. Predict legal outcomes with Blue Jay Legal's Foresight Platforms. Using AI to analyze thousands of cases and administrative rulings, Blue Jay Legal can predict with 90% accuracy on average how a judge would likely rule in your case. Plus, you can research by factors and outcomes to find the relevant cases in seconds. Stay ahead of the curve and learn more at bluejlegal.com. That's blue, the letter J, legal.com. Bluejlegal.com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is attorney Kelly Chang Rickert, the founder of the Law and Mediation Offices of Kelly Chang, a professional law corporation. And we've been talking about divorce and the effect on children. You know, there's also an effect on the parents and and people even outside the relationship. What advice do you give to parents about the relationships outside of the family? So I usually provide a lot of resources on my blog that focus on healing and, you know, what to do if you're in the middle of a divorce or when your divorce is entered. I provide that because free of charge because I think it's really important. A lot of people don't understand that, you know, lawyers are not necessarily trained to be mental health professionals, but it is kind of an indispensable part of the job. And so I do offer a load of information on my blog free of charge to anybody that wants to read it. There's a wonderful documentary out there called Split by Ellen Bruno, and she basically interviews children of divorced families. And she does it, and it's very innocent, and it actually makes me cry. I mean, anybody who's watched this would be able to testify that it does make a huge impact for parents that are kind of nasty to each other, you know, and it kind of dissuades you from going to, going into a custody battle. Because it's never good for the children. No, never. Tough situation. What's been your reaction from clients as they finished through the mediation process instead of going through divorce? Do you get a different reaction from the people at the end of your mediation sessions than you do at the end of the day when the judge slams the gavel and says, here's the judgment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So many times at the end of a mediation, both parties will look at me and tell me in private, you know, that wasn't so bad. I thought it would be so much worse. 
you know, it's, and it's that breath. They're finally waiting to exhale that it's, I can't believe it's over and the papers have been signed and we just wait, you know, because I think a lot of the fighting is because you're still fighting and there's no finality. And you guys are at that sensitive part where you're just fighting over everything. And so, you know, it could be one little thing that triggers the other side. And all of a sudden you want to spend 50,000 on attorney's fees to prove your point. That's the beauty of a mediator, because when it gets really heated, you know, you just you just need somebody to take you a step back and just to tell you to take a deep breath and focus on the issue. And if you can get past that emotional reaction, a lot of people can, then you can reach a settlement. You know, the problem with litigation is that you have attorneys that are trained to win at all costs, which is fine when it's a personal injury case and there's an insurance company that's liable for the damages, go for it. Go for the jugular. That's what you're there for. But when you're dealing with a family, you're dealing with the brokenness and all the legacy that you leave. And you're also dealing with finite resources. You know, it's a couple that have acquired 20 years of assets for them to easily spend that, for them to spend it on a divorce, it's very easy. So, you, you know, a lot of times attorneys are like, I don't care, I'm getting paid. Well, you should care. You should care, and you should not want to spend 50000 of their money to fight over 5000 of a community asset. It makes no sense. You know, so, but unfortunately, a lot of lawyers don't get that because they want to get paid. They want to focus on the paranoia and the fears and go into court and fight over stupid things like garage door openers. Yeah, I've had some lawyers refer to it as a pots and pans dispute. Yes. It's like you get half the cleaning supplies. Whoop-de-doo. You know, like, come on, really? Half of everything? Right. Half is not is half is not whole. You will never be made whole. And your your website says mediation, if it's done right, heals. Yes. How, how do you think that mediation impacts the future relationships between the divorcing couple? Because I think it's a very selfless act. I think mediating and maybe giving up certain rights that you may or may not have in court, it's like an indicator that you're sacrificing just to end the war. You know, and it is not a retreat. It's not a surrender. It's being smart, you know, but a lot of people don't see it that way. They want to go to court. They want to destroy the other side. They want to kill the other side. That's why you have a lot of these murder-suicides that happen in family law. It's usually a father who had a fake restraining order placed on him or maybe a real one. He walks right through that restraining order, blows all their brains out, and kills himself. You know, it shouldn't be that way, but people are just so awful, which is why, you know. Right. They're in family law to begin with. You know, if people worked harder on their marriages and it was more intact and they cared more about each other, divorces wouldn't happen. And divorce lawyers wouldn't get such a bad reputation. When you see a couple that's thinking about getting a divorce and they're angry with one another and things are boiling over, what advice do you give them to to diffuse that and get into the, the mediation steps? I usually listen to them because a lot of it is they need to vent. You know, even though I'm a lawyer and I'm focused on the law, I know that a lot of my job is compassion. So I listen to them, and somehow I slowly nudge them to the issues of the law. Family law is very easy. There's only four issues. There's child custody, support, property division. Actually, there's only three issues. That's it. (laughs) I guess it would be child support, spousal support, property division. But it's only four issues. And we can just focus on how we legally separate this couple. You know, it should be easy. But everybody is talking about winning, you know, that they want exactly half or they want exactly half of the kids. And, you know, you just have to get them off that because they, they don't want to lose. What are people entitled to in a divorce? I mean, is it really truly half or what's the give and take? Then how do things usually end up? 
Well, I usually tell the client, you're entitled to as much as your husband is, <laughs> or your husband is entitled to as much as your wife is, because whoever came to see me first, I'm representing. So, you know, it's not like I have a particular predilection for one side, but the truth is both sides have equal rights. I mean, even if you're a traveling father, let's say you're out and you don't spend as much time with the kids, it doesn't mean that you don't get the kids when the divorce happens. A lot of times fathers do step up when there is a divorce because now half the time the kids are with them and that relieves the mother. And then the mother who was once stuck at home without a career can now make her own career. So, you know, it, it's a reorganization of family. I read this off somebody else's website, which I thought was really clever. Because as a divorce attorney, you're not just dividing assets. You're reorganizing their life. So you're trying to put people on a new path without destruction. You know, you, you want to make sure that you don't kill them. Well, let's talk about the stay-at-home parent, the one who is not the breadwinner and really has no skill set to be able to enter into the marketplace or not a current one. What happens in those circumstances? I guess it would depend how long the marriage was and how old the stay-at-home person was. Um, nowadays, 51% of the workforce is is women. So it's, it's not that big of a concern now because both sides do work. Um, and strangely enough, uh, a lot of times divorces happen in two working households because there's like an imbalance of work and family. Uh, but that's a different issue. But yeah, I don't see as many, like if a woman was truly stay-at-home for 30 years, it's, it's, I don't see as many of those divorces. But um, there are still remedies. So let's say you're married for five years and the wife was stay-at-home for five years. There is a way if she's still youthful enough to get her retraining and back into the workforce. And almost every single stay-at-home mom that later went into the job force has came back and told me it was the only thing that kept them sane. Because working provides camaraderie, it gives you a sense of accomplishment and purpose that you would otherwise not achieve being a stay-at-home parent. So I do think working is very, very healthy for stay-at-home people. Well, let's, let's talk about the new mediation law in California, but it's code section 1129. You've written about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. There's been this fight. Historically, mediation communications are protected. So what that means is if you're an attorney and you're going through mediation with your client, if your client later decides to sue you for malpractice, all the communications made during the mediation, even if it's something like, oh, you should take it, you're going to do a better, you know, that cannot come out because it's confidential. So what that what occurred after that is that there was a lot of attorneys committing malpractice because they're not properly advising their clients and their clients can't sue them because they're in mediation. And so they were trying to get rid of the mediation confidentiality law when it comes to lawyers representing clients in mediations. Uh, but it turned out that that did not happen. Instead, a compromise arose, which is Evidence Code 1129. So now you have to give your clients an advisory if you're in mediation that all these communications are confidential, um, but they can still see you for malpractice under other circumstances, but not under the, using the communications done in mediation. Is it beyond family law or just in family law? It's everything. If you're in mediation, you can use the advisory contained in 1129. It's a text that you can generate. You sign it, and you have your client sign it. Well, tip for lawyers to be careful about. Yeah. It came out January 1st of 2019, and the code actually provides the text that you should give to your client. So what everybody should do is print it in 12-point format, which is what the code requires, and it has to be not attached to anything else. So it's just for this one advisory. You explain it to your client, you have them sign it, and then you sign it. 
And do you uh, do you find that attorneys are are knowledgeable about that, or is this uh, something that you're seeing in mediations that uh, isn't occurring? You know, it's something that clients do with their attorneys. So I, it wouldn't like just because I haven't seen it from another attorney doesn't mean that it's not happening because it's an interaction between the attorney and client. My office does that. I don't know if others do that. It should be though because it's a new law, and any attorney that enters into mediation with a client should absolutely use it. It's the law. Right. So when you do mediation, do you have, are each one of the uh, husband and wife separately represented by attorneys or can they be or can they not be? What's the format that you use? So the majority of my mediations, I'm the neutral mediator and the parties are not represented. They have consulting attorneys on the side, but they're not represented. So the paperwork I prepare for them has each of their names improper. I have handled a few mediations where both sides are represented, but that's the minority of my cases. So tell us about the day of, of the life of a divorce mediation from, from the morning when you first meet with clients to when you finally get it wrapped up. How does it work? So my mediation sessions are pretty therapeutic and they're pretty fast. So a lot of times I send homework, a lot of uh, articles that I write before the mediation. And I also have this packet prepared Uh, informing them about preparing the preliminary declarations of disclosures. So I give that to them before, and sometimes they'll come in prepared and we can get to work. Or sometimes if they don't have time, we'll do the actual preliminary declarations of disclosures in the session. But, you know, you come in, you make use of my conference room. I'll usually provide coffee and breakfast because my sessions are in the morning. And, you know, we start getting to work. I have an agenda prepared for every mediation session, and we just go down that agenda. We start with ground rules, my background, talk about each other's concerns, and then we document any agreements that you already have, and then we focus on the issues that haven't been resolved, and then we talk about how to resolve them. And, you know, after one or two sessions, I can usually reach an entire agreement. That's fantastic. Well, let's talk about you for just a second. Let's talk about your pro bono policy. You're volunteering. Uh, you're also a mediator for the Los Angeles Family Courts. I, I know you're a judge pro tem uh, for the small claims court, and you even volunteer at a, a local family law center. Tell us about that. I love giving back. I think it's so important to return the favors that your community has done for you. So yeah, I I do tend to volunteer. It's Something that I do because I feel bad, I get a lot of callers, and so my staff answers, and a lot of them just want pro bono. Unfortunately, for liability purposes and for my insurance carrier, I can't take those calls. I can't take clients pro bono. So the only way I can give back is to volunteer at a local community. So I do that. Every month I'm Every month I have something going on. So I'm either sitting as judge pro tem at the small claims court, or I'm a DSO, which is daily settlement officer. It's just a fancy word for mediator in the family courts in L.A. Um, or, yeah, I volunteer at the Levitt and Quinn Center where they screen the clients and, you know, they really, really need help. You have to qualify for legal aid. That's fantastic. But, yeah, I encourage all attorneys to do that because that's how you're going to get your training. You know, in the beginning, don't focus on how you're going to get paid for your work. Focus on how you're going to learn how to do work that you can later get paid for. <laughs> Yeah, I think sometimes you graduate from law school without really knowing how to practice law, and it takes the experience to to uh, get it under your belt. Yeah, absolutely. I was doing work for free those first couple of years. You know, I wasn't charging at all. But that's you volunteer, you learn, you make your connections, and you give back. Everybody should give back, and especially now, especially as it's 
gotten more expensive for everybody to access attorneys. I think it's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I just encourage callers to check out the legal aid. You know, private law firms can never offer pro bono just because of insurance claims and stuff like that. But they can call and they can find legal aid. And I have a lot of information just on my website. If you just want to know general information about family law, it's right there. You just have to take the time to read it. Well, Kelly, let's do that. Why don't you tell us your website along with your other contact information? And if you would please wrap up with your final thoughts. Sure. So you can find me at www.purposedrivenlawyers.com. And on my website, there's two blogs. One is the one you mentioned, divorcefamilylaw.blogspot.com. That was my first blog. And then there's a second blog, uh, Purpose Driven Lawyers blog, that's updated weekly. So what I do is, you know, I spend a couple of weeks writing 100 posts, and then they automatically just update week after week. And I'm also on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter as Lawyer Kelly. That's my handle. And I think LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn, I'm Lawyer Kelly as well. And you've been on some local TV programs. I know that you get quoted frequently for uh, celebrity uh, divorces and things like that. Yes, I do. That's a bonus to my job. (laughs) Every time a celebrity is going through a divorce, I get to give my two cents, (laughs) my worthless two cents. Well, it's always fun to hear your opinion. Thank you so much. We've just about reached the end of our program, so we'd like to thank you for listening. And if you've liked what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. And we'd like to thank Kelly Chang-Rickert for joining us today. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.